Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Today's lesson is from Matthew chapter 17 and was presented at a session of the Timothy Institute. The Timothy Institute meets quarterly and is a ministry of Berean Bible Church in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. For more information, see www.bereanbiblechurch.com. You see how chapter 16 ended. Christ says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now I want you to notice he doesn't say you won't taste of death until you see the kingdom established. Right? He says until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And uh, that, that term kingdom, you know, is used in a, in a wide variety of ways. And, and the issue here is, uh, you know, Christ isn't, isn't telling them that they are going to survive until the kingdom is established. All right. But, but rather what he says is they're going to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And uh, before we before we go into chapter 17, I want you to go over to Second uh, Peter. Go to Second Peter, and before we look at the events of the beginning of, of chapter 17, we have here uh, an account from Peter about what. What they're about to see, of course, in Second Peter, he's writing back, or he's writing, uh, looking back on those things. Okay, so Second Peter chapter one, verse fifteen, Peter says, "Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And, and uh, Peter here is referring back to these events that we're going to read about in, in Matthew 17. And you see, he says that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, Christ had not yet been crowned as king. In fact, he hasn't even yet today uh, been crowned as king. At his second coming, he will. And yet, Peter could say they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And... And uh, I want you to note here in Second Peter chapter 1 that after Peter talks about his eyewitness account of these events of the transfiguration, he says in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy 
Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now there's an interesting statement here. Uh, you know, Peter had been an eyewitness of the majesty of the Lord. And yet he says there's something that's even more sure than that. He says we have the more sure word of prophecy of those things that were written down by holy men of God that spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, that inspired word of God. And so uh, these things that we're going to read about, we aren't eyewitnesses of, right? We, we haven't seen what, what uh, some of these disciples are going to see here in, in the beginning of chapter 17. But we have something that's even more sure. And see, Peter's writing to people who hadn't seen what he had seen, but he wants to assure them, you, you have something that's more sure than even Peter's own eyewitness account, which is you have the written, inspired preserved Word of God. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. And so, um, at the end of chapter 16, Christ promises the disciples that some of them, He doesn't say all of them, but some of them standing there would not taste of death until they had seen something. And that something was the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now I would, I would submit to you that when Peter said they were eyewitnesses of His majesty, that they see here in these first verses of chapter 17, they see Christ in His kingdom. They see Him with a, a visible manifestation of the glory that He has as King. They're eyewitnesses of His majesty. And so chapter 17, verse 1 says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. Now Peter, James, and John are often mentioned together. Uh, they, you know, the, the twelve certainly were kind of like Christ's inner circle. Peter, James, and John are, are kind of like the inner circle of the inner circle. And often they are taken apart separately by Christ. Uh, you think about in the garden um, before his betrayal and, and the night before his crucifixion. Who is it that he takes apart with him? It's Peter, James, and John. Right? Very often those three are are take you know, even even more they're put in even more intimate circumstances than the twelve as a whole are. And so he takes Peter and James and John and they go up into this high mountain. And verse 2 says that he was transfigured before them. He's transfigured. So uh, the idea would be that he, t he takes on a, a different figure. His appearance is changed before them. And it says that his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And, and so they see this, this shining upon Christ. Now, it might remind you, uh, in the Old Testament, for instance, you remember when Moses, uh, saw the glory of God, and, and you remember that, uh, the Lord had to protect Moses, because he told him that, that no man could see his face and live. Uh, but he allows Moses to get kind of a, a glimpse. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. 
and he allows Moses to get a, a, a glimpse after he's passed by of, of his glory. And what a, what a great picture there of the, the uh, protection that we have from the wrath of God in Christ being hidden in the cleft of the rock. But you remember what the effect of that was upon Moses. He, his, his face shone. And when he came down uh, off the mountain, Israel was afraid. They, they made him put a veil over his face because they were afraid. And you know, when you come into contact with the glory of God, it, it changes you. Now Christ here, He's not shining like Moses' face shone. Moses' face shone, you know, out of just being into that, in that, uh, Contact with the Lord, but here Christ, what, what they, what they get to see, remember that, that Christ's, Christ's flesh, His human flesh, uh, in some way veiled His deity. What they get to see is they get to see kind of a glimpse through that, that humanity of Christ to see His deity. Now they aren't seeing the full glory of God. They wouldn't have been any more able to live in the face of the glory of God in their sinful flesh than Moses would have. But they, but they get a glimpse of that. You see, they see that, that shining and they see it, you know, in, in physical manifestation. Uh, as a, a brightness, his face is shining as the sun. You think, you think about it, if you go out on a sunny day and you, you look at the sun, you can't even look at it directly for very long, right? Because it's so bright. And it says that his, his raiment was white as the light. And you know, the, the Lord himself, uh, the Lord God is described often as being clothed in light. And here they, they see that in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only that, not only do they see Christ in His glory, but verse 3 says, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, that's Elijah, talking with Him. Now, why out of all the Old Testament saints, you know, why would it be Moses and Elijah that are here with Christ. Uh, remember that, that increasingly here as you get into this last half now of the book of Matthew, there is an increasing emphasis upon the things of the last days on the second coming of Christ. He's been rejected by Israel in his first coming and he's, again, he's, you know, he's preparing them to operate in his absence and to look for that second coming when all these promises regarding the kingdom will be fulfilled. And you know, these two men, Moses and Elijah, play uh, an, important, an important role in future events. Uh, hold a hand here and go over to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 3. Revelation chapter 11 verse 3 says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Now it begins to talk about these witnesses. It doesn't tell you who they are, but it gives us some good clues here in the passage. Uh, verse 4 says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. 
And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now think about in your Bible, uh, think about some great men who God gave some great power to and you think about a man who was able to shut heaven in the days of his prophecy. I remember Elijah, three and a half years it didn't rain. Uh, think about a, a great man of God that was used to turn water into blood. Moses. And uh, here you have these, these two men described. Verse 7 says, When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And uh, it talks about uh, an earthquake, great earthquake there in verse 13. But you see there's these two witnesses. Now there's not, the Bible doesn't tell you a lot about these two witnesses. I mean, this is the most extensive passage about them here. But, but you see at, at least some of the description of them kind of fits with Moses and Elijah. You know, both Moses and Elijah have some interesting circumstances uh, regarding their, their. Uh, in the case of Elijah, you wouldn't even really say his death. Remember, Elijah was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind, right? Elijah never saw physical death. Now, Moses died, but if you go back and you look at the, the death of Moses, you'll notice that it says that God buried him and that nobody knew where his grave was until this day. And you know, if you're reading the book of Jude, it, it, there's kind of a, a strange passage where it talks about Michael the archangel being in a dispute with Satan about the body of Moses. Okay? Uh, that, that body of Moses, it, it doesn't give you any details there, but apparently that body of Moses is important to Satan and is important to, to Michael. Uh, and they're and they're in some kind of a dispute over it. All right. So just some interesting things there about those two men. And if you think about those two men, you know, Christ over and over again, when he talked about uh, what it what it was that testified of him, he said it was the law and the prophets. All right. And here you have Moses, the man through whom God gave the law. And you have Elijah uh, considered to be the, you know, one of the greatest of the prophets. Right here, you have those two men, the law and the prophets. Um, they're bearing witness of Christ. And remember that that there are some some things here that Christ has been revealing that are that are mysteries. They hadn't been revealed before. Moses and Elijah in their lifetime, they didn't know about 
some of these things regarding the, the you know, that gap of time that, that Christ would come and, and uh, be rejected and suffer. And then there would be this period of time before he came back. They're here. It doesn't record for us what their conversation was, but you can see why there might be some need for Christ to have a conversation with them and, and tell them some things. See? And so they're there on, on the mountaintop. Now, uh, Peter, Peter and James and John uh, appear to just be observers here. They don't seem to be privy to the conversation either. They see Christ. They see Him transfigured. And they see this, this interchange between uh, Moses and, and Elijah. And they're, they're all speaking together. And you notice in verse 4, back in Matthew 17... Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. And, you know, you you see this over and over again with Peter. You know, things will happen or the Lord will be doing things. And Peter doesn't really understand what's going on. But he always has the idea of something to do, right? I mean, Peter's always got something to do. And... And here, you know, it could very well be that Peter thinks, hey, this, this is the kingdom here, right? I mean, there's the king. There he is, shining with the glory of the Lord. Uh, here's Moses and Elijah. The Scriptures said Elijah's going to come before the... They'll talk more about that in just, in just a few verses. But the Scriptures say Elijah's going to come before, before the kingdom. Peter says, hey, let's... let's uh, you know, set up shop here. We'll we'll make a make a couple tabernacles, or you know, we'll make one one for you. He says, uh, we'll make three tabernacles: one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and we'll just hang out here on the mountaintop, right? Of course, that's as so often happens with Peter. Peter has great ideas about what to do, but they're very often the you know completely wrong thing. Have nothing to do with what what's really going on. And you see, verse 5, Peter gets kind of interrupted. Peter's in, in, the, in the middle of you know, sharing his ideas for what to do. And it says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now, that may sound familiar to you if you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist, uh, when the, the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, right? And, uh, and here again, you have that an audible voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father, interrupting Peter, uh, it's interesting, you know, Peter's there sharing what he thinks should be done, and the voice says, hear him. Stop talking, listen, <laughs> you know, uh, listen to him. And, uh, and you have the, this, this declaration of, of Christ. You have, again, at his, at his uh, baptism, and then here at the transfiguration, you have this audible voice that declares who he is. Uh, you know, the, the Bible also points to another event as being a, a declaration of who he was. Paul says in the book of Romans that his, his resurrection, he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. 
and and there you have a really a a, a, a final declaration of who he is uh, by raising from the dead. It, it proved who he was, if there was any doubt. Um, so here they hear this this voice from heaven again, pointing to Christ as the beloved Son, and he says, "Hear ye him." In verse six, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And that's a, a common reaction to, to the presence of God is for sinful man to fall on, fall on his face and to be afraid. And, you know, there's many, there's many passages in the Bible that talk about the fear of God in, in the sense of a, you know, a, a proper respect for authority. But this is more than just that. I mean, this, this is, they're afraid of what's going on here. Um, they don't seem to be afraid just when they see Christ transfigured or when they see Moses and Elijah, but this voice from heaven just just causes them to fall upon their face. And uh, you see, they're, they're afraid, they're sore afraid, it says, uh, of what's going on. Now, verse 7, Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, Save Jesus only. Uh, you know, certainly the plan here was not for Moses and Elijah to, to stick around and for the disciples to, you know, put up some, put up some, uh, tabernacles there, uh, for these men. Moses and Elijah no longer are there and now it's just the Lord that's there with them. Now, uh, verse 9, it says, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And there are many things like this where Christ tells people, don't, you know, don't tell anybody. Uh, they weren't just supposed to go out and tell everything they had seen and, and all that. Here, Peter, James, and John, he tells, he tells them, don't tell anybody. Uh, they go back down off the mountain and they don't tell anybody about these events. Now, you see Peter later in his epistles, you see him pointing back to that as a, a proof that believers are not just following cunningly devised fables. He gives his eyewitness testimony of what happened. Of course, here Matthew is writing uh, about these things. He would have heard it from you know one or all of these men that were there. Uh, you see it in the other gospel accounts. But until Christ's resurrection, they weren't supposed to tell anybody about what just happened. Now, what this does is it leads into a discussion about Elijah. Verse 10, his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And you can see that's what they're thinking about. When they see Elijah there and they recognize him as Elijah, they're thinking about the scripture that says, that Elijah has to come first. The, the specific passage they're referring to is back in the book of Malachi. Go back to Malachi chapter 4. In fact, it's the, the very last verses in the Old Testament, at least as the, as the Old Testament is arranged in, in our Christian Bibles. If you were to have a Hebrew Bible, the, the order of the books would be different. But uh, the book of Malachi... Chapter 4, the last two verses, verses 5 and 6, verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet 
before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You can, you can imagine what was going through Peter's head when he looks and sees Elijah there. Uh, and he thinks about this verse. Verse 6 says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so there, those very last verses of the book of Malachi talk about Elijah coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. They talk about Elijah as a, as a witness, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers. Okay? And, and so these disciples, as they're as they're uh, coming coming down from the mountain, or after they've come down from the mountain, his disciples ask him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Matthew 17, verse 11, Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has come already, And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Now, uh, this might be kind of confusing because Christ says, Elias will come, but Elias has already come. Okay? And he, on, on the one hand, in verse 11, he verifies and and reiterates the fact that Elijah is going to come. Elijah is going to come, just as Malachi said, uh, Elijah is going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord come. Elijah will come first and restore all things. But, he also says, Elias has come already. And you see in verse 13, it says, Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Okay? So, there is an Elijah to come, but Christ says there's an Elijah that's already come. And if you go over to to Luke chapter 1, you can see a little bit about uh, Elijah and John the Baptist. Uh, Here in Luke chapter 1, if you remember the events uh, surrounding the birth of, of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist's father was Zacharias, uh, who was a, a priest in the temple. And he's serving the Lord there in the temple, and an angel appears to him and tells him about this son that is going to be born. Uh, if, you, if you see in verse 13, the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias. For thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so John the Baptist, his, his ministry that he carries out, he goes out 
in the power and spirit of Elijah. He is the, the Elijah uh, to prepare the way for the first coming of the Lord. Now, you often see this with these prophetic things regarding the, the second coming of Christ. You see um, partial or you know, incomplete fulfillments in the first coming of Christ. Uh, and, and so there are often times where you have second coming passages from the Old Testament that are taken and applied to Christ in his incarnation. Uh, in fact, there came a point where John the Baptist himself seemed to have some doubts about, about who Jesus was or needed a little bit of encouragement. And Christ pointed back to uh, a passage in the book of Isaiah that's really about the second coming and about the, uh, the restoration that takes place at that time. And he, he points to the, you know, the healings and the dead being raised and all of those things associated with the second coming of Christ. And he uses them as a proof of who he is in his first coming. And and in that same kind of a way, uh, John the Baptist is the the you know partial fulfillment, you could say, or he is a at least in in types, he is a fulfillment of that Elijah that was to come. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.